We're in John chapter 5. We finished chapter 4 last time. The second miracle that we have recorded in the Gospel of John. Um, the healing of the nobleman's son. Remember he came up from Capernaum, said my son's at home, lay sick with a fever, he's dying. The Lord proven a point, really, except you see signs and wonders you shall not believe. And the Lord just says, go home, your son's alive. That's all he had was the word of Jesus. And he left. He left at the word of the Lord Jesus. His servants met him about halfway back home the next day. Said, your son's turned and he's recovered. He said, what hour did it happen? They told him and he knew it was the same hour that the Lord Jesus said this. And that was enough to persuade that man and his family that Jesus was the one that healed and that Jesus was the Son of God. And we see that in verse 53, that himself believed and his whole house. Now we come to chapter 5. And after this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool which is in the, called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then was first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease that he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity 38 years. So... If you remember, I've said it a time or two, John is very detailed about the setting, where these things take place. And to the doubters, and I, I realize there's not, maybe there's not a lot of doctrinally um, wisdom in these, but to the people that were living at the time that this was written, this is tying everything to a specific place. And so he's at Jerusalem. He's back there again for a feast of the Jews. At Jerusalem, there's a pool called Bethesda. Anybody alive that had been to Jerusalem in that day, they knew exactly... It's like me saying the swimming hole up Spring Creek or saying down at Gornflow or Punching Camp. We all, our mind, we know where that's at. Well, that's, he's tying this to a specific geographical place and location that everybody's aware of. Now, the feast is not named, which is odd for John. John normally tells what feast it was when Jesus was going. Why it's not named is not really known. It could be this, that there's a break here in chronological order. And John's not interested in giving us a chronological account day by day in order of Jesus and His works. It's not a biography, but John is laboring to prove the point that Jesus was the Son of God, that Jesus gave His life for sins and resurrected the third day. So as John is putting this together, I, I believe you can see it as well as he's making his case. He's presenting his case. He's starting at the first and he's building as he goes through. 
And really the important part of this chapter is going to be in the latter half and Jesus' discourse with the Jews and the Pharisees and the scribes. But we have here the pool. So there's a pool at Jerusalem. And whether or not there's legitimate healing in this pool or not is unknown. There's not really much reference in history as to whether this was a legitimate place of healing like it says here in the Scripture. And you know, I'm not saying the Bible is lying, but the point is these folks that were at this place believed there was healing in that water. And this is the order that they believed it. The water's going to be stirred occasionally. It's not often. And the first person that went into the water when the water was stirred was healed. Only one person only the first person, and everybody else at the pool is left with disappointment. Now you think, well, this could be true, and I'll give it that. This could be a place of healing. But also you think of faith healers and the big movements. You know who goes to those? People with no hope. They just want some hope. And they go to these things and these men put on these great shows. And you know where they're always left? Just like the multitude at the pool. They're left with disappointment. There's been no improvement. There's been no help. We're going to see that with this man that John has mentioned here. But as it is, we'll just believe that there is healing in the water. That God did set up this pool... God did send an angel down occasionally and stir the waters and the first person that went in was legitimately healed. So do you know what that's done? It's just like the hospital. A place where there's treatment and a place where there's potential healing. You know who's there? All the sick people are there. So these folks, they've got things that cannot be healed by man's wisdom or by man's medicine in this day. So where do they go? They're going to gather at the only place where there's hope of having help. They've got this pool. It's surrounded by five porches. And in those porches lay a multitude. Now I don't know what you envision when you read that. The porch, a colonnade is another word for it. It's a covered place. So they've built a place for the sick to lay that they might wait to have the opportunity. No guaranteed healing. No guarantee that they're going to make it in. There's going to be a fella that's sat there for I don't know how long. He's had the infirmity 38 years and he's been there a long time according to the Scripture. But they're going to go and sit there for a hope of making it in when the water is stirred. So, you know, here is... In this pool, there's a picture of the Lord Jesus. In Zechariah 13, verse 1, In that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. So in a, in a type and a shadow, as the sick go into the water when it's agitated, whatever disease it is, is washed away. Well, that's not possible. I realize naturally that's not possible. But I'm going to tell you this as well. It's not possible for man to shed his blood and your sin go away either. 
Bulls and goats, blood can't be shed and your sin be taken away. But God's going to do a miraculous work. God's going to open a fountain that is capable and able of washing away the uncleanness and sin of man's heart. That man could appear before God and not be guilty, not be filthy, and not be cast into hell. That fountain was opened in the sight of the Lord Jesus Christ. The blood of the Lord's going to be shed as payment for sin and cleansing, healing from the disease that began with Adam and Eve in the garden. And really, every other disease stems from that problem. You know what's wrong with this world? Sin is what's wrong with this world. And you can point to anything you want to point to that's evil, and the root cause is found in the garden with Adam and Eve's transgression and the serpent deceiving and beguiling them. You know what that ought to make man do? Man ought to hate the serpent. Man ought to hate sin. When man's dying, when family is dying, that ought to make me hate the cause of the problem. But you know what happens often? Here's how corrupt that sin is. It's God that gets hated. It's God that's despised. Why would God do this? I tell you, the blindness of sin. But the name of the pool is Bethesda, house of kindness or mercy. That's the meaning of that name. You know, Bethlehem, the house of bread. Bethesda, the house of mercy. A place where there might be mercy found for those that have no hope otherwise of receiving mercy. But the nature of this now, it placed man versus man. You see that? As the water stirred, every man for himself, the first one to get in. So you just needed to be faster than everybody else. That's the way man likes to think about salvation or even a standing before God today. That it's not me before God and the Word, but it's all of us together and I'm better than most other people. But that's not good enough in the kingdom of God. We're not measured up to one another. Nobody else is considered as God looks at you but you are individually on your own measured up to that man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who lived in perfection. And if we do not measure up completely to the Lord Jesus Christ, if there's any error, any failure, any spot, you think about one spot on a white wedding dress, but my God have mercy. Is one spot all you've got? How in the world is man going to stand before God? There's no way he's not going to stand before God on his own and by his own abilities. So he's laid out the setting of this and we're introduced to a certain man which had an infirmity 38 years. So the man's had this problem for 38 years. And I'm going to say that his hope of getting over it was long gone. 
The only hope he had was a miracle. Something out of the ordinary. Something beyond nature. That's the only hope the man had. So where's he going to go? The only place he knows where he can receive something that's beyond nature. He's going to go to Bethesda. But he's going to go there where there's a multitude. There's a pile of folks. And it's going to be a race to get in the water. What do you imagine that it looked like when the water was troubled? You reckon anybody was desperate? I'd say they were all desperate to get there. And you try and you try. Imagine being beat one time into the water. What if ten times you didn't make it? Somebody made it before you ten times. What if for 38 years you never made it? You know what's happening? Hope is running out. I'm never going to make it. And we're going to see that here in just a minute. So, verse number 6. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming... Another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed, and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Now that's few words, and a lot can be missed just by casually reading through. So first of all, Jesus comes to the pool. Remember the setting a place of healing, had five porches built around it, and in these lay a multitude. But Jesus speaks to one man. There's no record of anybody else being spoken to. You know, that's the way the Lord works today. How many people are on the face of the earth? How many people were on the face of the earth in need of salvation when God spoke to you? And how many of those do you believe God spoke to that day? Boy, I tell you, you talk about blessed and favored of God that God would call you out of all the world. People with more means, people with more money, people with more intelligence people with more uh, standing and nobility in the world, people all over the country, people that can speak more languages, people that were more moral than you, people that tried to be religious more than you did, people that committed less sin than you, and yet God spoke to you. That's why Jesus says, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. Not, Simon, you've done something, but God has blessed you, Simon, in giving you this knowledge that the majority of Jerusalem does not have. This man's going to be blessed. Out of all the people on the porches, this man's going to be blessed. And people say, well, that's not really fair. 
Well, then Jesus could have just let them all lay there. Would that have been more fair? And yet the mercy of God extends to one. One of a multitude. Just as it did to you. And just as it did to me. That are saved. The mercy of God was extended to you. And it wasn't extended to another. I know, man, man doesn't like that, but that is in this Scripture. And it's through the rest of the Bible as well, if there's a willingness to see it. So Jesus asks this man a question, Wilt thou be made whole? It's three words in the original Greek. To determine, choose, prefer, wish, or be inclined. That's what wilt means. To wish, to be inclined, to choose, to prefer. Thou be made. It's that word genomahi. We've talked about that word before. To generate. To cause to be. To come into being. Whole. Healthy. Well. Or true. So Jesus is asking him this. Would you prefer that you be made cause to be healthy. Is that what you would want? You know, it reminds me of Bartimaeus, but it's a different situation. In Jericho, as Jesus passed by, he's had three years of ministry at that point. He's performed many, many miracles at that point. His name and reputation is widely spread and known. And when Bartimaeus hears Jesus is passing by, he knows who that is. And he knows this man can give me my sight. And he cries out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus asked Bartimaeus, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? And he says, Lord, that I might receive my sight. But this man, this man doesn't recognize Jesus. He doesn't know who He is. Jesus says, would you be made whole? And this man says, I don't have anybody to put me in the water. He's got no knowledge that the man standing before him has the power to make him whole. Doesn't know who He is. I think the answer to that question is, of course I would like to be whole. That's why I'm sitting here. But... When somebody's, when the water's stirred, somebody always gets in before me because I'm crippled and can't get there in time. If I had somebody that could help me get in the water, then I might stand a better chance. That's what he's saying. If somebody would stay with me, and when the water's moved, if they had thrown me in, then I could make it. But at this point, the man realizes... On his own, he's not going to make it. Hope of that is gone. You know, for the Lord to do a work, that's the very place that God brings our hearts to. To a place of hopelessness and despair under the weight of guilt and sin. To the place that I don't have anywhere else to look. Do you remember being there? That God brought you to such a place that you had no hope otherwise. 
I remember saying, if you'll call me one more time, I will go. Just call me one more time. How does a man get there? God brings a man to a place of no hope. Now this man says, if, if somebody would help me, I'd be able to make it in, but while I'm trying, somebody else makes it in first. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6, we know this, we've heard it. When thou were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Christ came for those with no strength, no ability, no righteousness, no morality, no deservedness whatsoever. That's who Jesus Christ came for. And whether man ever accepts it or not, that is the condition that all of mankind is in. From people that go to church to people that are in the world, from Jews to Gentiles, from every nation and from every tongue under heaven, all of mankind is without strength and unable to help themselves. The problem is man doesn't have the sense to recognize it on his own. You know why that is? It's that corruption of sin again. Man thinks, well, I'll get it fixed eventually. I'll get in there one day. Yeah, I want to be made whole, and maybe the next time the water's stirred, I'll make it in on time then. This man was beyond that. He had, he had tried all, if you'll have it. He had lost hope in ever being made whole. So another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. Now you think about this. That you come to a man that's had palsy or paralyzed or whatever, whatever was his malady. And you say, well, just get up. What's the matter? Well, I can't feel my legs. Well, just stand up. Now, how's that going to work? It's not going to work, is it? I mean, that really, that's common sense. You're not going to tell a man that's a cripple. You're not going to tell a man that's paralyzed from the waist down or from the neck down. Well, well just stand up. Because he can't do it. He does not have the ability to accomplish that on his own. I'll tell you what you'd look like. You'd look like a smart aleck to say something like that to somebody that's in that condition. Can you see the reflection of that though? You've got man trying to call sinners to come to the Lord Jesus and be saved. And man does not have the ability to get up and come to the Lord Jesus. You might get them to an altar. That don't mean they come to the Lord. How many people have come to the altar and they've never been regenerated? Man's got no... If you're trying it, then you might as well go to the hospital and tell people laying, dying in their beds, just get up and walk, you'll be all right. It won't work. 
But when the Lord calls, there's a difference. There's a power. Now, you hear it, you hear it twisted sometimes. Let's not twist it. Let's just believe it just as it's written. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. Was that a request? Or was that a command? He was not asking him if he would. He was commanding him to do so. And immediately the man was made whole. Immediately when? Was it when he believed? Was it when he started to try to get up? Well, he made a move first, and then God took over. He was trying to, and then God healed him. No, at the time the Lord Jesus spoke this, immediately he was made whole. There was a change that was made in this man's body as the Lord Jesus spoke. And because of that power that was working, the man had the ability to get up. Nobody else could have told him that. And it worked. But the Lord spoke and there was a power working inside of this man's body to make him whole as the Lord is speaking. You see that. And so that's the way that the gospel that comes to sinners that are regenerated and saved, that's the way that that works. The Lord calls, and at the same time that God's calling, there's a power working in them that is bringing them to the Lord. And if you don't have that, then there's no work being done. It has no bearing how smart the preacher is, how well versed that he is, how well educated that he is, how loud or whatever reputation they might have. Man looks to all manner of things and trust that this man will be able to get it done. Man's not able to. No. If your trust is in man or in the arm of the flesh, your trust is in the wrong place. I don't care who that it is. Man cannot do this work. But the Lord calls and there's a power that changes that man's body. If there was, just, just humor me, if he's paralyzed and there's a disconnect in the spinal column somehow that has left him paralyzed. That's why the man can't get up. You may not be able to get in there and diagnose that or see that, but say that's the problem. Well, as Jesus is telling him to get up, you see how that's reconnecting? It's got to be, doesn't it? If something's wrong with his hip and it's out of joint, that's got to be being repaired while the Lord is speaking. God's correcting the problem as He's calling to this man. There's a change inside of that man that's not visible to anybody else round about at the word of the Lord Jesus. That's the way God works in man. You may not always be able to see it on the outside, 
but the Word of God, invisible to the natural eye of man, is at work in the heart. God has healed this man. He is healed. At the Word of Jesus, before that He ever got up. You see that? He's getting up because He's been healed. He's not getting up to be healed. Man that comes to the Lord Jesus comes because God has called him by the Spirit. Not because he's coming and hoping God's going to do something. God's already been at work at that point. So in Ephesians chapter 2, we know this scripture so very well. But God who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us together with Christ. For by grace are you saved. So what happened there? I was dead in sins. So if I'm dead spiritually, I'm unable to respond spiritually. But while I was dead, God quickened me. God called me. It was grace. I couldn't have come without grace. Couldn't have been saved without grace. But God gave me grace, quickened me with Jesus, and my response to the altar was a result of the quickening of God. The response was evidence of the work that had already occurred that was invisible to you. If you've got people responding and then God working, you've got it backwards. It can't be that way. The man can't get up till he's healed first. It's physically impossible. Man can't come to Jesus until he's been called and a work of the Spirit has occurred on the inside. It just can't happen. It doesn't matter how bad he wants to get up. He can't do it. He's not able man that is dead in sins is unable to come to God. No man can come to me except my Father which is in heaven draw him. There's no ability to do it except God is drawing. So take up your bed. Why does Jesus say take up your bed? It don't need to be there anymore. See, he's going to be healed. He's going to walk out of there. He doesn't need a bed at the hospital, if you'll have it, at the pool of Bethesda any longer. His life and his behavior and where he stays and how that he does is going to be changed after this. He's not coming back to the pool and waiting. Do you see that? A, a change of life. In Hebrews chapter 11... Verse number 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had an opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly. 
Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He hath prepared for them a city. Maybe that seems unrelated. But you know, he's talking about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and these men. We we just focus on Abraham, a man that had a place to live, a man that had a family in that place, a man that God called to come out and Abraham came out. And you know what it's saying? If Abraham would have wanted to have went back, he could have. There was nothing preventing him from going back. He could have went back. Is there anything preventing this man from staying there at the pool and laying there some more? Nothing. But you know what that was? That was a cause of his trouble. That was a cause of his sorrow. That was the cause of his disappointment. And now that God had done a work in him, he didn't want to be there anymore. There's no need to be here. Abraham came out of his home country and he followed God and Abraham had no desire to go back. And so it is with every sinner that God saves. They don't want to go back to sin because they know where that life got them. Is there anything? Now be honest. In the flesh... Could you go back to sin? In the flesh, you certainly could. Your flesh still desires it. There was nobody that handcuffed you and brought you at gunpoint and forced you to come to church this morning. You could have went fishing. That Maybe that would have sufficed us at one point or another in our life. But now there's been an inward change. And that bed in sin, we no longer desire to be in that bed. God has made new creatures. And we're desiring a better country. A heavenly country. Uh, in Romans 6, Paul asked the question, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid... How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So there's a question. How can somebody that God has killed to sin and resurrected in newness of life, how can they continue that way? Is it possible for somebody that is dead to sin to continue in a lifestyle of sin? Not by the Scripture, it's not. They are new creatures. This man's going to take up his bed and leave. In Ezekiel 20, 36, verse 26, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments. This work of God is sufficient to get the man up and sufficient to carry him on through the rest of his life. This man's not going to wind up crippled and back at the pool. This is not a temporary fix. You may have a tire. You may get it retreaded. That's a temporary fix. This is not a temporary fix. This is for the rest of this man's life. And that's the way real salvation is. I thought of this verse of the song and I wrote it down. We know the song. 
I am drinking at the fountain where I ever would abide. For I've tasted life's pure river and my soul is satisfied. There's no thirsting for life's pleasures nor adorning rich and gay for I've found a richer treasure one that fadeth not away. The soul has been satisfied by the Lord Jesus and the desires for sin have been taken away. It's the change. So the order of this healing, grace acts first, making Him whole. Action follows. Action is the result of grace, which is what we tried to say earlier. The response is the evidence of the work that's already occurred. If you see tears of conviction, I'm not saying you can't see evidence of conviction. And remember conviction, persuasion, convincing faith. You can see evidence of God working in somebody. But it's not that that brings about the working of God. It's the working of God that brings about the evidence of it. And the man is going to get up as a result of the grace of God that acted upon him. And I say this, if you hear this and you're saved, that's the same order that it happened to you in. Grace came to you first and persuaded, convinced, convicted, whatever words you like to use there, grace came first and your response and coming to God was a result of God already doing a work in you. Matthew 23 verse 15. If man's going to do the work, this is what always happens. You shall make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. All man can do is give false hope. All man can do is deceive. Man can make no change in the need of the soul. So I mentioned this. This is coming up in John chapter 6. I'm just going to read it. Verse 44, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, They shall be taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh to me. So you can't come to Christ except the Father draw. And then in the next verse, verse 45, Jesus reveals that every man that learneth of the Father comes to the Lord. If folks would be willing to read the Bible, I believe it's swallowable right here. Everybody does not receive the same call. According to the words of the Lord Jesus, John chapter 6 verses 44 and 45. You see, man can't come except he's drawn. And in verse 45, every man therefore that hath heard and that hath learned of the Father cometh to me. There's no question. It's not that they've been enabled and they're choosing what they're doing. But those that the Father persuades, 
They come to Jesus for salvation. I, I believe that. I believe that with all my heart. So we've got this great work that Jesus has done. And in verse 9, the last half of verse 9, maybe the, the least noticeable detail of this whole account, this is what sparks the rest of the chapter. This is what sparks the great, really the hatred of the Lord Jesus. Jesus has done this great miracle and on the same day was the Sabbath day. So the religious crowd, their anger and their wrath is going to be built up. So let me read just a verse or two, and we don't really have time to get too far into it, but uh, verse 10, The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. He answered them, He that hath made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. Then they asked him, What man is that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed wist not who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. So if you realize, he didn't know who the Lord was. He didn't know Jesus. He couldn't answer their question. But as the Jews see this man walking down the street, carrying his bed, they say, wait a minute, you're breaking the law on the Sabbath day. And if you're any bit familiar with the Gospels, you know that in all four Gospels and in multiple places, this is one of the issues that they have with the Lord. Here's a man carrying a bed. That's not lawful for him to do. And they'll even get to the place that they say, it's not lawful for you to heal on the Sabbath day. Isn't that amazing? Legalists. Now, do they have a point? We know the law of the Sabbath day. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Now here's the law. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. So when you read that law, what does that say to you? Sounds to me like he's talking about working itself, doesn't it? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And God's give six days to do all of this work. Do it in those six days. And on the seventh, and notice God cuts out every place for man. Well, I'm not working. It's my servants that are. Well, God says don't let your servants work then either. Because if you forget to keep the Sabbath, then it won't be holy anymore. If everybody starts working on the Sabbath day, then then really it's not set apart for anything anymore. It doesn't mean anything. It's lost its weight. So this is the law that God gave. Now, do you see anywhere that it says a man can't carry a bed on the Sabbath day? He's not working a job. He's not out trying to enrich himself. 
He's not out trying to gain more, but he's carrying his bed. He's been healed. He's taking his bed from the hospital and going to the house. But man, man likes to add restrictions and laws. And what it is is it's ways for me to be even more righteous. It's more laws that I can check off the box that, well, I've never done that, and I've never done that, and I've never done that. And if man's not careful, he'll get caught up in the religion of adding laws on man. And he'll forget the whole purpose of the Sabbath day altogether. And that's what's happened here. They're not out for the good of man. They're out for righteousness and holiness. And there's, there's many examples that I can think of right off the top of my head. Well, you can't do this. Uh, you've been divorced. You can't do this. And now... We're talking about things outside of the Scripture, okay? All kinds of examples of men adding laws that is not in the Word of God. There is a law to remember the Sabbath day, but their application of it here is wrong. They're going to bring it down to the place, well, a Sabbath day's journey. You can only travel X many miles on the Sabbath day. That's not in this law. But it's man adding. In Mark chapter 2, verse 25, he said unto them, Have you never read what David did when he had need and was hungered, he and they that were with him? How he went into the house of God during the days of Abiathar the high priest and did eat the shewbread, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priests, and gave them also to them that were with him. He said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. You know what the Lord's... That last statement, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath and I can do what I want to on it. Is that not true? Who made the Sabbath? He did. If you ever have children, they say it's not fair, you make the rules. You're not kidding, I do. Can the Lord not say that about the Sabbath? They're accusing the very Lord of the Sabbath of breaking His own Sabbath. But this is what He says here. He says, look at David. There was a time when David was fleeing from Saul. He and those young men that were with him, they were hungry, they had need, and they stopped by the temple, the tabernacle, and all that was in the tabernacle was shewbread. That's all they had. It is against the law to eat the shewbread. Only the priests can eat it, and they have to eat it inside the tabernacle. But because there was a genuine need here, David and those men ate that shewbread in the tabernacle. And fire didn't come out and burn them up. But man wants to be such a stickler for the law that he misses the entire purpose of it. You know what all that tabernacle was? For the good of man. You know why there was a Sabbath day? For the good of man. Because the great beast in Revelation, he would desire to work it to powder and there be no remembrance of God. 
He would desire that we be hung up. Is that not what He says in Revelation? That man worships the beast and his image? You see pictures of, in your mind now, you're seeing idolaters and false god worshipers. Maybe even devil worshipers, you might say. But it's a picture that the world and the world system and the worldly gain and the worldly good, all of that creeps in. And, and where's man worshiping today? More, 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 more. And it's never enough. It never will be enough. And so he says, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. I'll read one more place in Matthew chapter 12, verse 11 and 12. What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep, and if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? Now the Pharisees believed in this. If they had a sheep or an ox that fell into a pit on the Sabbath, it wasn't against the law to get that out of there. Does that not make sense? I mean, if I have a flat tire, here's a picture we can put in today's terms. If I'm coming to church and have a flat tire, is it lawful for me to change that tire and come on to church on the Sabbath day? I mean, you have to do it. That's the way it was looked at in their day. It has to be done. But Jesus says this, How much then is a man better than a sheep? They're going to be a stickler about the law with the Lord helping man out of darkness. Why would they worry about that? Because it's not about man. It's not about helping others. It's all about me. It's about what I can do. And if, if that's what we're going to be interested in, then I promise you we're going to be opposed to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all that's on our heart. Anybody got anything you'd like to say?